You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Today's reading is from Psalm 20, and if you have the Church Bible, it's on page 481. So it's entitled Deliverance in Battle for the Choir Director, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering. Selah. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. May he answer us on the day that we call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My Jonathan. I'm the pastor here at this church, and uh, we're starting a new year. You might have noticed our New Year trees and New Year nativity. Um, you, you're buying that? Okay, yeah, it's a New Year, yep, New Year's trees, New Year If you think about it, I mean, we could just keep them up and it could be the Easter tree and the Pentecost tree and the, I don't know, winter tree. I, um, I offered to Briley to pack up the Christmas trees this past week, and she said, do not go near those trees. <laughs> I have a very particular way, she said, of packing them up. And so, New Year's trees. All right, so he, he, how are you feeling? Apart from um, not in a very humorous mood, how are you feeling about... Uh... <laughs> oh, man, we have to lift our game for the songs that come after the sermon, because those first two, we were dragging our feet, all right? I, I know it's humid outside, but... This psalm's got a little bit to say about celebrating uh, as the people of God. So, how are you feeling about coming into 2024? Who's feeling optimistic about this year? All right, both of you, thank you. Who's feeling pessimistic? You could admit it. Some of you are pessimistic about participating in my voting. All right, most of you don't have an opinion. Apathetic? Yeah. Yeah. That's the true Australian response, right? So we're coming into 2024, and I don't know, there's probably, it's probably fair that um, we uh, feel a little bit ambivalent about it. It's a good word. It means kind of love-hate. It means, I don't know, good and bad. It's, it's 
black and white, it's up and down, it's, we're not sure how to feel about this. We've been through a fairly trying time on the global stage. And um, for some of us, we're probably feeling quite anxious about the year ahead. If you read enough of the news, or God help you watch enough of TV news, then you probably have a lot of reason to feel anxious. I was reading just yesterday that um, Poland are running war games um, with uh, their, their jets are, are practicing combat against MiG-29s, which is the Russian jet. And uh, if that all comes to something, if Poland enters into the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, I, I, I got a little bit of an interest in military things, and they're a NATO nation, which means everyone else in NATO gets pulled into that whole mess. And so, you know, there's reason to be a little bit apprehensive about the year ahead. My feeling is just in like, um, you know, living with you guys is that this kind of like how we feel about the year probably comes down a lot to just our natural disposition, our personality, uh, whether we're more anxious or more apathetic. And so there'll be some of us here who are coming into the year feeling very anxious and we need to be reassured that God is on the throne and that we can trust him. And some of us who are more apathetic, more sort of quintessentially Australian, maybe we need to have a little bit of a call to arms and be a little bit more interested in things that are going on around the world and be a bit more proactive about learning about them, praying about them. I really find that Jesus helps us a lot when, we think, when we're thinking about this. Like, how do we conceive of the state of the world coming into a new year? I find, I mean, Jesus is just the ultimate example of anything, everything. But when it comes to this kind of thing, I, I was taking a look at a couple of passages which rather than being contradictory, are just two sides of the same coin. It's the kind of coin I'd like us to examine through the lens of Psalm 20 this morning. So if you, if you listen to Jesus when he talks about impending kind of conflict, here's a couple of things he says, all right? In Matthew 24, I'm going to pull that up. He says, uh, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginnings of labor pains. Paul picks up on that language, remember, in Romans 8, where he says, the whole earth is groaning for its deliverance. It's like a woman in labor. It's groaning, it's in pain, it's, it's in travail to bring something great forth. And so that's how Jesus conceives of some of these signs of the times, these wars and earthquakes and you know, crazy things. They're labor pains. They come before your deliverance. They come before the new creation. So he says, don't be alarmed. See that you are not alarmed. Some of us need to hear that this morning because we're kind of fixated on everything that could go wrong and the threat of World War III and, you know, we've been watching too much news and scrolling too many feeds and 
because we always click on the bad news stories, the algorithms are just feeding us more bad news stories, and this is, you know, this is the way it goes. But he also says in Luke 21, he says of, of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, which was yet to come, he says, when you see Jerusalem sur- surrounded by armies, then recognize that its dis- desolation has come near, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. So he doesn't say just, uh, you know, don't be alarmed, sit back, do nothing about it. He says, don't be alarmed, but do something. In this case, you've got to flee to the mountains. You've got to get out of the city. So he's, he critiques both anxious preoccupation with what might go wrong, the threat, and he critiques apathetic uh, inaction. So I don't know where you fall on this, like everyone falls on one side or the other. We're all trying to be more like Jesus, who's the perfect balance of everything, but some of us tend towards anxiety, some tend towards apathy, and I think this psalm is helpful to us in setting us on, a, on, on the right course as we come into 2024. It's written in the context of uh, Israel under threat. Um, the king knows that war is impending. Um, they are aware that they're a small nation amongst much bigger fish. And yet, uh, and so they're mobilized to action. They pray for God's deliverance. They express trust in his power. But they also, um, they also rejoice in the midst of their circumstances. So all we're going to do is do what we just about always do and just take a line, a line at a time and see what God has to say to us. So if you've got a Bible, make sure you're at Psalm 20. And verse 1. It says, May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. Trouble is what the nation is facing. This is uh, the first, I think probably the first five or six probably verses of this are the people of Israel addressing the king and then his response comes at the end of the psalm. So the people are saying to the king, uh, as the Lord's anointed, as the representative of the people, may the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. And what I love about this verse, the thing that jumped out to me, was the fact that they address Yahweh as Jacob's God. That, that gives me so much encouragement because Jacob is such a moron. <laughs> He's such a moron. Um, like Jacob, Peter, these kinds of people in the Bible give me so much reassurance and encouragement because, um, because God uses them powerfully and even though they have to smash their heads against the wall repeatedly, each of them ends up trusting God more and more. They mature in faith, and that's just like that's my desire. I, I acknowledge that I'm a moron too. Like Jacob, like his name literally means like supplanter, like um, like uh, like 
manipulator, wheeler dealer. Like he's always looking for an edge. He's always looking to how he can get his way, how he can feather his own nest, how he can uh, enrich himself even at the expense of others. Right? You see that right from the start with Jacob. That's the kind of guy he is. And so, I, I don't know, as we come into a, a new year, or maybe it, just whenever you're facing the day of trouble, I don't know if you can resonate with this, but my, my response is often when you're faced with a challenge, when you're faced with a predicament, my, my natural inclination is just to try and move the levers to get myself back right side up, right? Like, like what, how can I manipulate this situation? How can I outthink this situation? How can I creatively solve this situation? Manipulation can have a kind of pejorative sense, like you're, you know, you're, it's like you're, um, you know, leveraging you, uh, stuff for your own gain. Or it can just mean like moving things around, right? Like, just I, I need to move the pieces on the chef's chessboard so that I'm I got the checkmate instead of being checked. And so this is, I, I, I don't, is this just me? I'm the only one? All right, pray for me. But you come against a, a difficult situation, a day of trouble, and the, your inclination, default uh, disposition is to try and fix it fast. And... What Jacob learned by the end is that because God was his God, he didn't have to act out of his nature and manipulate and cheat and fool people. And he could lean on his staff and worship God. He could trust in him. So that's the first step on setting us a course for this new year is to by the power of the Spirit, and probably through painful experience, adjust our natural response to difficulty, whether it's news of wars and rumors of wars, or just not having enough money in the bank to pay the water bill, whatever it is, like, how can we, how can we, by, the, by God's help, by God's power, change the way we naturally respond to these situations so that we trust in God. We go to him first. We, uh, the, the promise is, or the, the, the petition is, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. That requires, for the Lord to answer, that requires what? We ask him for help. How many of us spend all of our time trying to manipulate a situation to our advantage or even just solve a problem that we're facing and then some way later in the peace we remember, oh, we ought to pray about this. And God can do like 10,000 things in a five-minute prayer that you would never achieve. Even if you're the smartest guy in the room, you would never achieve in your own strength. I love that God is the God of Jacob. Instead of going first to our own powers, this psalm says we ought to go to God, and it uses a very important term to refer to that place that we should go. So this is verse 2. Check it out. It says, May he send help from the sanctuary 
and sustain you from Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. So for the, for the old covenant believers, the people of God in the old covenant, the sanctuary was where God dwelled, right? The, the, that, pl- that place in the temple where God's dwelling was and Zion was where the temple was. And so the, what, what they're saying is, like, may God send you help from where he is, from his dwelling place. Now, here's, here's, here's where we have it so much better than these guys. Like infinite, we are infinitely better off and more blessed than, than these faithful saints from the old covenant because we, we, we don't need to go to Zion to meet with God. If you ever make it to Jerusalem, I'm sure it'll be a wonderful trip and you'll learn a lot and it'll be amazing, but you don't need to go there. Zion is here. The sanctuary of God is actually here. God dwells by his spirit here. The holy of holies is is right here. And so, not just dwelling within each believer, but present with us, God is here. The idea that we have, just, just put yourself in the first, um, in, in the old covenant, right? Put yourself in this situation uh, 3,000 years ago, say, and if you were transported into this congregation right now and you heard the preacher up the front say, Everyone here has unlimited access to God's very presence. You would be shocked. You might think it was blasphemous. You would definitely be utterly shocked by the idea that these people, like even you guys, Gentiles, right? Most of us here, I'm guessing, aren't Hebrews, Jews. Gentiles, but actually anyone, that anyone could have unfettered, unlimited, unrestricted access to God's sanctuary would have blown their minds. And yet that's the truth. If anything, even though this is like monumentally advantageous to us as believers, I think sometimes it works in the opposite direction. Like our unfettered access can leave us kind of, again, ambivalent. Well, I know that I can pray to God at any time, and so I kind of never do. If I could only pray at this time, when this bell sounds facing this direction, right, maybe I would do it more. Which is a tragedy. God dwells in his sanctuary and his sanctuary is open to us. I think this will help us if we find ourselves in a situation where we are um, perplexed by the just reality of life. Like why is it that little kids get leukemia? 
Or why is it that I've been overlooked for that promotion at my job, even though I'm the first one there every morning, the last one to leave? Or why is it that my friends, kids are getting straight A's and mine are failing? Like, all of these things that cause us to be just perplexed, like, why? Why? You got the situation in, in the 73rd Psalm where this, the psalmist is, um, is perplexed. He's like, why are, the, why, are the, why are the mongrels the ones who do well in life? Like, why, why are the cheaters the ones who get ahead? And he's perplexed by this, he says, until I came to the sanctuary. And that's where he got clarity about the reality of life and the ultimate destiny of those who remain faithful to Yahweh. And so... The fact that we have unlimited access to the sanctuary, a place of intimacy with God, a place where he hears and answers our prayers, a place where we can get clarity and perspective in the sanctuary, not just like we meet with God, not just in prayer, but also in praise, also in the reading of scripture. These are all like sanctuary activities that we have unlimited access to. I guess it's just an, like to state the obvious, I'm just making an invitation. It's the same invitation that God makes himself. Remember Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I feel like that's what he's just doing throughout the day. And uh, he says, whoever opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Like, right? he'll, he'll fellowship with, with that person. Just be thinking about, like, where's, where's my sanctuary? Where's my functional sanctuary? If, if sanctuary is the safe place where God dwells and I meet with him and he strengthens me and nourishes me and uh, communicates love to me, what, where's your functional sanctuary? I, I don't just mean, like, the actual one. Like, we all have the smallest sanctuaries. Like, what, where, where do you go? that we have limitless opportunities to, like, to, to have these stand-in sanctuaries. Some dudes just, like, they have a literal one. It's called a man cave, right? It's just like this shed where all of their stuff is that is, like, designed to completely relieve them, distract them. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying you can't have a man cave, but if it is your functional sanctuary, then it's become an idol and you need to burn it down. You have my permission. Might be, I don't know about the fire restrictions today, but wait for a rainy day and burn it down. The most obvious one is the, like, the, the, is this? Like I'm... I'm feeling a little bit anxious, I'm feeling a little bit angry, I'm feeling a little bit, I don't know, anything that disorientates me, go to the sanctuary. But you won't, you won't find what you're looking for there, not ultimately. Now, the reason that we have this unlimited access that the, the, the Jew from the 
third millennium BC would just be astonished by. Right, the reason that we have this unlimited access comes next, kind of. All right, so take a look at this. Verse 3. May he, may God, remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering, Selah. Selah just means stop, pause, think about this. So, I mean, the, all of these offerings, burnt offerings, cereal offerings, animal offerings, all these offerings that the people of Israel did over and over again, they're all just shadows, right? You, you read the book of Hebrews, it gives you the perfect explanation. They're all, just, they're all just little copies of the actual sacrifice that uh, delivers us from our sins, that provides... Redemption for God's people, and that is Jesus, right? Jesus' death on the cross. That's that's the sac- That's why we're not we're not pulling out a goat here this morning and slitting its throat. We might do that one week at like a, for a curry night or something, but we're not doing it to get God to. Well, uh, we're not getting it for God to love us. You, I don't know if it's in the liturgy this morning, we're, we're going to have communion, but you, you might hear the words um, describing Jesus' death as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Once-for-all sacrifice for sin. So, the reason you have unlimited, unfettered, unrestricted access to the sanctuary every minute of every day is because Jesus paid it all. This is the reason that you can stand before God without him killing you. It's the reason you can stand before God and he actually listens to your prayers, like eagerly listens to your prayers and answers them. It's the reason ultimately that you won't be condemned to eternal death. Jesus is our sacrifice. Again, like Our position compared to these guys singing this hymn, it's just phenomenal that we would be able to say this and that they had to resort to constantly giving up, offering bulls and cereal and gold and other things. We are remarkably blessed even in 2024, even in the shadow of global catastrophes. One of the best verses in the Bible is how Paul summarizes this whole situation that we find ourselves in. The recipients, not only of God's forgiveness, but of, of, his, of his blessings. Romans 8, 32, he, God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? That is true, and it's only true, because Jesus died for us. He was sacrificed for us in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, 
Jesus died for us. Yeah. All right, let's, let's jump ahead. Uh, no, let's go to the next verse. All right, we got verse four. It says, may he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. That is a dangerous thing to pray. I, I don't know. I, I know this is the Bible, but I, I'm, I might have recommended that they not put that bit in because may he give you what your heart desires, really? <laughs> like, what if your heart desires the eradication of the Jews? I mean... It's a dangerous game to play. What if your whole purpose is the annexation and domination of the Ukraine and then the rest? Like what? It also sounds a little bit too Disney for my liking. I don't know about this line. Let me give you what your heart desires. Fulfill your whole purpose. I think the only way that you can say that and for it to actually be a blessing to someone, because, listen, like, if most of us got our heart's desires, it would not be a blessing to us. It, it, it would be very bad for a lot of people. But I think the only reason that he can say this is, and this is obviously looking back through the cross at this, right? The only reason that we can pray this for one another is because Jesus has first sacrificed himself for us, cleansed us, sanctified us. This can only be a word of blessing and a prayer for blessing if God is already changing our default and... Um, uh, our uh, instinctive desires. I think what the psalmist has in mind here, and this works both sides of the covenant of Jesus coming, is like the for the righteous person. May God give you the desires of your heart. Because the right, so remember in the Sermon on the Mount series, we, we looked at Jesus' use of the term righteousness, and it's not the same as Paul's use of the term righteousness. For Paul, he's talking about how we're made right before God, righteousness in the legal sense. We've, we, you know, we've been justified. But for Jesus, when he's talking about righteousness, he's talking about like a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of feeling. He's talking about thinking God's thoughts after him. He's thinking, he, like, feeling the way God feels about the world, acting the way that God acts, which is just Jesus, right? So this only becomes a word of blessing and a, and a prayer for the blessing of not just yourself but others if there is kind of this prerequisite desire to live a righteous life. This time of year, we, a lot of us get into resolutions, you know, about 
being a better person or a healthier person or I don't know. I don't know what your resolutions are. I mean, we're a week in. They might already be long gone, to be honest. They, you know, they normally have about a week shelf life. But, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. Nothing at all. But that's, it's actually not, I don't think, how God changes our hearts. So this is the goal, right? I, w- I want to be able to pray this for myself. May God give me the desire of my, hearts and my heart and be confident that that will actually be a blessing to me and the world around me. I'm, you know? And so for that to happen, my heart has to be changed. It's got to be more aligned with his heart because God's heart is, like, if God gets the desires of his heart, then the world is blessed. The world is heaven. So as I pray this prayer, I need to concurrently be praying that God will change my heart to be more like his. He'll change my life to be more righteous, more like Jesus, more God-like. Godly. And this isn't like a start of the year thing. This is not like a I'm a little bit hungover on the 1st of January, and so I'm definitely not drinking again this year. I've made the, I'm definitely not doing that ever again, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've put on five kilograms over Christmas, and so I'm just, I need, you know, I'm definitely not eating Maccas this year. And, you know, like these kinds of re- resolutions are not actually how God changes us. It's actually a lot more, um, requires a lot more commitment than that. It's a daily choice. And, and not just a choice, right? Like, it's a daily wrestle. You, you know, I, like, my, my thing is I want to wake up and I want to, like, smack my hand away from the phone and, and put it together with my other hand and, and, and ask God to show me that he loves me, like, to give me a vision of his love, to give me a passage of scripture to encourage me to... I don't know, to, to stir me up with affection for him. I want, so that's, that's my thing, right? And I'm telling you, it's a wrestle. It's a fight. I, I didn't win it yesterday. I thought, I thought about it. And then I thought, oh, I don't know, I'm just not, not up for it. So that's a, that's a fight, friends. And... And it's, a, and it's going to be a daily battle to take hold of God's desires for you and his desire for you, his love for you, which I think is the starting point for any day lived in righteousness. Yeah, that's a daily thing. That's a daily, daily battle. You've got to wrestle. You've got to, you've got to be a little bit like well, you've got to be a bit like, like a bulldog. You've got to wrestle that thing down, you know. You've got to wrestle God's blessings. You've got you to fight for joy. We sang that first hymn, right? We sang, um, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Uh-uh, you won't. 
morning by morning new devastation I see or just more new envies I see as I scroll through Instagram and see how everyone else is way better looking than me. Like morning by morning, everything but new mercies you'll see. Unless you wrestle for it, unless you grab it, unless you take hold of it. If you take a hold of it, then you can sing that at the top of your lungs. I promise God will reveal new mercies every morning. There's no limit to them. It doesn't run out. It's just new every morning. Got carried away there, sorry. Let's, um, we, need to, we need to jump back in. I got, I, got a, I got a small amount of time and a few verses to get through. Um, Uh, yeah, sorry, I gotta, I gotta do, I was gonna skip five, we have to do it, because I feel like we, our church needs to hear this, all right? He says, let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. When I read that, I just, my mind went straight to being a kid going to, well, VFL football games as it was, I, you know, going to the footy, shouting for joy, at victory, lifting banners, like banners in the crowd, banners at the, when they start off and have that weird, that weird tradition we have of big paper mache banners that players run through. I feel like that, I, feel, I, I know I've said this before and I, I never use sports analogies because I'm gonna look like an idiot. I don't know enough about sport and I just think it kind of, not everyone gets into sport. Anyway. This is appropriate because at a, at, a, at, a, at a sports ball game, right, at, a, at an event, or you could say at a concert or whatever, but you have this whole group of people behaving in ways that would embarrass them in any other context they find themselves in, right? They are unencumbered. Some of them paint their face. Like, how, where, where, when are they ever going to do that? anywhere else. Um, Some of them stand up and raise their hand. You will never find that Bruce will never, sorry Bruce, uh, uh, Patrick will never stand up in church and raise his hands, but get him to the footy and he's just like the whole game, right? For a bunch of guys in shorts. And why is this? Why do we raise banners? It's because And the reason that we behave in these ways without feeling weird and embarrassed about it is because you have a large group of people who are all focused on one object, this object of their adoration, right? This object of their praise. They don't take their eyes off it until quarter time or half time, whatever. They're just, they're consumed by it. That's what the... Grand final teaches us about how church ought to be. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to stand up and raise their hands. You don't have to do that at all. Uh, you, you don't have to clap during the song, God forbid, or, 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 or you know, yell out amens during the sermon. You, you don't even have to laugh at my brilliant sense of humor. But if we're going to be the church, which I think sport, this is a whole other thing, sports events are kind of modelled on church. Um, 
It's fascinating actually to look at the countries where people sing at sports events tend to be Christian countries. It's because they've been formed in the church, right? Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So church is the best. Whether people have their hands up and are being expressive or emotive, um, church is the best when, like at the grand final, there's a crowd of people who are completely consumed with a single object. And it's not the guy with the microphone. When we are consumed with the single object of God's glory, that's when church is the best. doesn't matter if you have a smoke machine or a big band or a small band or a huge building or no building. The best church services are where we are just, I mean just, you know, we're about to get a whole bunch of new signage done here, Uh, you guys have been telling us about I don't know, when did this building open, 2008, that we needed some signage, because no, no one even knows this is a church, apparently. Uh, I'm more of a viral marketing kind of guy, a word of mouth. But anyway, we caved and we've spent all this money on signage for our church, and it makes me a little nervous, I, because I, at once, I, you know, at the same time, I love branding and marketing and advertising. I would have been in that if I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> and, uh, but... I don't, the idea of a banner with our name on it, I don't know, it makes me a little uneasy. The way that I've come to be at peace with it is because if it functions as a sign, right, something that points to something else, then I'm okay with it. So long as that something else is God and not Red Door Church or like whoever's up front today or any of that stuff, all that stuff it is here today and gone tomorrow, right? I want us to be besotted with one thing. All right. This is the last time I'm preaching for a long time, so I'm just trying to squeeze everything out of it. Okay, no, verse 6, all right? Um, verse 6. says, now I know that the Lord, this is the king in response, right? Now, that, now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. That just means the king. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Let's keep going. Some take pride in chariots, others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. Or another translation is we trust. And that's the one I got up there. Um, some trust in chariots, others in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I'm going to finish here, okay? The, the question that this psalm is posing, and the reason I chose it for this year ahead, is because to set a course... A Christ-like way of Jesus' righteousness 
Jacob at the end of his life, not, not early on. Peter at the end of his life, not early on. Like this reorientation of our hearts and minds and soul and strength. In order to set that course, one of the most critical questions we can ask is, what are we putting our trust in? What are you putting your trust in? The thing that you trust in will, will, I think, largely dictate the way that you think and act and believe. If you, for example, if you're trusting in good looks, particularly if you're like me and you know, the other side of 40, then you, I mean, that is going to be an all-consuming endeavor because you are pushing stuff uphill, right? It is, So that right, if you've if you've if you've grown up trusting in appearance, then you will more and more be consumed by the desire to be attractive. If you have put your trust in money, then you will be more and more driven by the need for money, and that is, I mean, um, that is a self-perpetuating endeavor. Right, the the richest people in the world still want more. I don't know what it. What, I don't know what you're putting your trust in. All of us have our own little chariots and our own little horses. Trust in intelligence. Trust in education. Trust in jets and tanks. Trust in I don't know holidays. Nice house well-mown lawn, I don't know, like, you name it. I think it was John Calvin who said that our heart is, a, is an idol factory, right? It's just, it's just like it just churns out idols, I-D-O-L, right? Just, whatever you can think of can become something that you lean on. The king was tempted to trust in chariots and horses. That makes perfect sense. You're going to war against these superpowers. More chariots and more horses are going to mean that you're more likely to win. His temptation was to trust in those things. But he says, no. I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Like, and, and again, we might be more blessed than they were in that situation, but we're also far more tempted because you've got way more to put your trust in than these guys did. You got way more temptations, way more idol worshiping opportunities than they ever did. So just as we uh, finish up, I, I wanna give you an opportunity and we'll, we'll um, Leslie will come in and play a song for us and I want you to resist the temptation to get to, I don't know, check your phone or get, think about lunch, just for, for three or four minutes, only you can do this, maybe your husband or wife, maybe your kids, but, but you're the best judge of this, I think, with God's help, for you, for you just to do a little audit, a little heart check, think about the thing, like what are the things right now that I'm putting my trust in, what are the things that I'm going to when I feel anxious or worried or guilty or shamed or 
angry or like what are those things that are functional sanctuaries for me where I can meet with my little God? What are the things that I'm ultimately putting my trust in so that at the end of 2024, if I look back and say, if I've done these things, if I've got these things, then I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied, I'll feel loved by God or whatever. Identify those things and then ask God by his mercy to kill them. And then resurrect them. Here's what I mean. Last thing. You need God to kill your idols so that he can resurrect them. If your idol is... If your, if you, if your idol is approval, the approval of people, you need God to kill that because it's become something you worship, it's some, something you depend on, something you need, and then ask him to resurrect it so that as people approve of you, you can take it or leave it. Right? It's, good. it's great, I'm, I feel encouraged, but I'm, I don't need it to feel loved by God or approved by him. Get it? If you leave the idol there, it'll become a demon. What we idolize, we demonize. That's a, just a fact of the universe. So the thing that you love, will end up, you'll end up hating, or it will hate you. Ask God to kill it and resurrect it for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time we've had together. Thank you for the book of Psalms and for the chance throughout this summer to go through an incredible book, a book that speaks to our experience in the here and now, our emotions, our fears, our triumphs. Lord, I pray that you bless our team, our preaching team this year. So many people willing to get up and exhort the people of God from the word of God. Praise you for that. And now, Lord, as we take just a few minutes, uh, I trust that you'll be with us, speaking to us, poking us, prompting us, slicing us open, convicting us, and ultimately changing us. Please speak to us clearly now in Jesus' name. on the way.